Christ Community Church is called by the God of all grace for the transforming of life in Middle Tennessee, spiritually, socially, and culturally. Through the power of the gospel, from Franklin to the nations of the world, all for the glory of God. For more information, visit ChristCommunity.org. As we continue this theme of gratitude throughout our service, uh, we ask Janet Green to come forward. She'll be sharing a testimony of faith and gratitude in practice. So, uh, Granite, come on forward. Thank you. Janet, come on forward. Good morning. I'm Janet Green, and I've been asked to share about my practice of gratitude with you today. And I'm pulling from an essay that I have written previously, but I am not a writer. And this is not my TED Talk, so if you'll just listen for a moment and come with me. A podcaster I have listened to at the end of the podcast asked the question of each guest, what is saving your life right now? And I love this question. The answer can be silly or it can be deep and meaningful. And it's meant to have you question, what is getting me through the day today? And as a Christian, the obvious answer is Jesus. So the next step is, how do I notice him being not just good, but good to me? And I've learned about gratitude journaling first from reading Simple Abundance, which was in the late 90s when my kiddos were very young. And I started a bedtime routine with them where I would ask them to name three things from the day that they were grateful for. And the usual answers were my blankie, my mommy and daddy, and toaster strudel. And as we wrote them down, I noticed a rhythm to it, reflect, Remember, without overthinking it, which is unique to the child's perspective, and then say thank you. There was nothing tough about it. I also noticed repetition. The same people and objects of their affection cropped up over and over again. So despite fumbling around in the early years, this practice stuck, and I could not put a name on it, but it comforted me. And it became foundational in my faith, which at the time was anemic and pretty stuck in neutral. And on a Sunday in a church I had never attended, I found myself searching for God, for my faith, and for something I could not name, but I had a deep yearning for. And the pastor, who was a jolly round man with a booming voice and a Titans jersey, which is how we know it was not Pastor Cassidy, because it would have been a Packers jersey, he offered his sermon, of which I remember almost nothing. But he did say these three words that changed my path forever. He said, joy follows gratitude. Boom. It might as well have been tattooed on my eyelids by the Holy Spirit. There was no one hearing it, there was no forgetting it, and there was certainly no denying it. Joy, it was the thing I had been lacking, looking for, and desperate to find. Not happiness, mind you, but joy, which is the presence that sits down with you when you're lonely, and it rubs your shoulders when you're anxious, and it holds your hand when you're afraid of the past, the future, and the right this very second. Joy was and is my need, and gratitude is the path. I stumbled upon Ann Voskamp's book, One Thousand Gifts, and I restarted my gratitude practice. And I noticed three things every single day that I was grateful for. And at the end of 365 days, there it was. Proof, 1,000 beautiful gifts that were tangible about God's provision and love for me. And tender tears flow when I think of his care in the quiet, tiny moments every day where he put those good gifts for me to find, almost like an Easter egg put in plain sight for a toddler to pick up and put in my basket. And God used this practice of gratitude in reflecting, recalling, and saying thank you to draw me to him 
And I started simple, the pretty leaf that was on my walk as I went with a friend, or the rock star parking I got at Target at Christmas, or having enough, just food, money, friends, hugs. It slowed me down and it showed me the simple abundance that gets mowed over in our rushed lives. My practice grew and with it my faith deepened. And some days three things were too few, like I couldn't stop finding enough things to be grateful for. And then I got sick. And I didn't get just a little bit sick. I got the kind of sick where I missed three months of work and wondered if I would ever know good health again. And during this lowest season of my recent past, the practice was truly what was saving my life. I learned to be grateful for the simplest things, which by the way, are the hardest things. For easy breath, for uninterrupted sleep, for psalms of lament, for crying out for God to show up, for the touch of my husband. I became grateful for what we didn't see as much as what I did, and I found the negative space comforting when compared to the total darkness. And this is when I really found joy. Each of the tiny blocks of gratitude that I had been noticing had built a foundation of trust that I could sit on and be with Jesus. And it was during this season of deconstruction that I found that joy was not grown from that same seed as happiness. It grew from the posture of a grateful heart. And there's no other outcome to sincerely saying, Jesus, thank you, than joy. It is the gift. It is the fruit. Most people can name what's wrong right now, but not what's working well. And in a year like we've just experienced and we are still experiencing, joy seems to be playing hide and seek with us. Recently, it's been easy to name fear and anger and loneliness, but has it also been easy to name joy? When did you last notice it? Is it what's been stolen from us? And how do we reclaim it? Well, as we'll hear today, how did Paul do it? He was first thankful. I still do this practice today. As gratitude deepens, the fruit of joy has grown in the dry, withered parts of my heart. And I began not to notice just the good gifts in real time, but to anticipate them and know that they were going to be there every day. God was there. If only I would show up and pay attention. So I hold this practice of gratitude loosely. It's not a chore. It's a privilege. And when I wander, as my heart is prone to do, or when I'm tired and I'm overwhelmed in the practice, Um, seems so far away. It's what brings me back. It's what makes me steady, and it's my starting block. And I had a local artist paint these words for me, and they hang in our home today. Joy follows gratitude, because somebody may need to see it. And somebody may know both gratitude and joy, but they've never connected them. But mostly it's for me, to remind me, to center me, to save me. Thank you, Jesus. May it be so for all of us. Well, I do want to turn your attention now from that very profound experience of encountering the truth of gratitude to Paul's words about how this can take hold of our lives. These are verses which we had planned out some time ago in thinking about this series of first things in the first month of the year. And... When we did, I didn't realize, of course, that this would be a week in which I would be writing lots of thank you notes. I'm doing that for lots of reasons, most particularly because some friends had 
brought food over to the house and so on during a time of extended illness for us. But when I was doing those notes, I was um, reminded of a book I read earlier in the year by Diane Butler Bass, in which she begins the book noting a thank you note she received. It was a thank you note from a person thanking her for sending her a thank you note. And she wasn't sure if she should send a thank you note to the person who had sent the thank you note. And you see where this goes. So I just wanted to do a poll here at the outset because I want to get it right. How many of you send thank you notes for thank you notes? Does anybody? Oh, good. Okay, good. I feel safe. All right. Then I'll just send the thank you note. In Romans chapter 1, I want you to go there with me. It's one of the best passages in the whole Bible. But I want us to pick up on a a moment in Romans chapter 1, which doesn't get a lot of press. Romans chapter 1, we're going to look at the first eight verses. We'll read them, hear God's word. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. I want you to think about those words for just a moment. This is the word of the Lord. First, I thank God for all of you. First, think of everything that follows in Romans. The righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel, which is the power of God that saves the world. There's none righteous, no, not one. But God gives salvation freely as a gift. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. Offer your bodies, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service of worship. Love is the fulfillment of the law. Think of all of the remarkable theological truth which is about to pour out of Paul's pen first, he said, to people he had never met. First, he said, I thank God for you. That is a posture, an apostolic posture of the heart that says there is an interior attitude towards people. People who are imperfect. The church at Rome 
was a great church. Paul goes on to say in this verse, your faith is proclaimed in the whole world, but they weren't a perfect church. Paul will not only pen remarkable theological truths, but he will deal with deep pastoral problems in this letter. Some regarded themselves as the strong Christians, and others the weak. There were significant divisions among them because of old hostilities which existed between Jewish and Gentile populations. There was arrogance. There was pride. There was sin. First, I give thanks to God for you. I know all of your children are perfect. You could probably, and you're laughing, it gives it away. You know they're not, and you know you're not. But I wonder if before we recite the problems we're well aware of, whether they're the problems in a spouse or the problems in a child or the problems in our own church or the problems that we know of in our world or in our society, I wonder if we could say with Paul when we look at our children, first, I give thanks to God for you, first. Before we deal with the big truths and before we deal with the big problems, the first thing I want to say is I am thankful to God for you. This can already, at this moment, begin to sound like an exhortation which puts a weight on people. And I want to find a way this morning in just these next couple of minutes to remove that. And here's why. Here's why it can feel that way. And here's why we need to remove it and shift the ground underneath it to why Paul writes these words, first, I thank God for you. And it's this. In Western society, and we even train our children this way, we have an approach to gratitude, which some scholars refer to as a debt honor approach. A debt honor approach. You have done something for me. I owe you thanks. You sent me a gift on my birthday. You remembered my anniversary. You brought me a meal. And so now that I've received something, I am in your debt. I owe you a response of gratitude. And this is why every parent, as they raise their children, says, your aunt sent you a check for Christmas. You have to do what? Write them a thank you note. In which, when she receives, she will scratch her head wondering, should I send a thank you note for the thank you note? <laughs> no, only say, write that thank you note. You have a responsibility to say thank you. But that is a debt, honor approach. You have given me a gift. You have done something for me. I owe you thanks. 33 different times the scriptures say, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. A little over one for every day of the month. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Not because of what he has done, but because of who he is. Oh, give thanks to the Lord because he is what? Good. And his love endures forever. God is good. God is kind. God is loving. Thank him. 
It's not a debt honor response. It's this response. It's a completely different basis. It's a grace-gratitude response. A grace-gratitude response. You see glory. You see something or someone, and it simply elicits in your soul, oh, glory. It's not someone saying to you, give thanks to the Lord, doggone it. Don't you see everything he has done for you? You should be thankful. That is moralistic preaching, legalistic preaching. It's saying, here's an extra burden for you to walk out of church with today. Aren't you glad you came? Last night on Twitter, I did a little exercise. I just threw this out. I said, uh, let's have a moment of gratitude Show me a picture or respond in some, some way. Show something for which you're just giving thanks. And you know what? Everything, all the, just about every response, there was over 50 responses, immediately came back. Here are my twins. Here's my first grandchild. Look at this sunset. Look at this ocean. Do you see this stream? Here's my parents who've been married for 63 years. In other words, these were not things that people had done for them. They were glories they'd encountered and witnessed. And seeing them, they could not help but go, glory to God. I give thanks. It's not that something was done for them. They just beheld something and saw in it the beauty and the majesty the handiwork of the creator, the love of a savior. There are 84,000 seconds in every day, but we fill few of them with, Lord, I thank you. And we wait for God to do a thing for us for which then we might feel obligated to say thanks. I was talking with an elder in a church recently. It's not this church, another church. And he was telling me about a life-changing encounter he had about loving Jesus. He was a younger Christian. And he had his prayer list. And uh, he's praying through his list, and he'd been praying earnestly for three things in particular. He didn't tell me what the three things were, but he said, here are these three things. And he said, and the Lord spoke to me. And I would hasten to add, he was a Presbyterian elder, and God still spoke to him. <laughs> the Lord spoke to me, and he said, if I give you these three things, will you be happy? And he said, yes, Lord, I will be happy. And then the Lord spoke to me and he said, then I am not enough. And he said it split his heart wide open. And he realized that in his loves, the order of the loves in his heart, there was 
disordered love, that Jesus was not his supreme love, had Jesus been his supreme love, then Jesus would be enough. We don't need the things we have seen him. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And beholding his beauty and his goodness in the face of church members, like I'm doing right now, just looking out at you. And one of the things I miss most are just faces. I would take them with masks. If I could just get everybody back together, just to see the faces. My friends, to see the handiwork of Jesus in a sunset, in an ocean, in a mountain, in a star, in a stream, and something down inside of us says, these are gifts for which we give thanks. Why is this a different foundation? It is not something which has been done for us, for which we give thanks, so much has been done for us, but it is the acknowledgement that everything around us is a gift. Life and creation is gift. You hold Bibles that people gave their lives so you could have in your language. You hear musical notes that long ago people penned when they heard the sounds so that they could be arranged in ways that would help our souls soar heavenward. We're moved by the lyrics of poets and screenplay writers. And we see everywhere we turn the love of the creator bestowed on a creation which is so muted in its response of glory. All is gift. The people around you this morning are a gift to you. Your children are a gift. Your parents are a gift. The spouse is a gift. But so are those places of suffering and pain. So are those extended illnesses. So are those moments of loneliness and grief. They too are gift. And in those places, we find the nearness of the man of sorrows who was acquainted with grief. In those places, we find the good shepherd who leads us and walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. And it's not a verse anymore, it's our life. And in those places, we discover the great physician of souls who goes down deep into the idols of our heart and exposes our fears and our anxieties and our insecurities and shows us that despite the presence of all of that, we're still loved. They are gifts. Gratitude, you see, flows not from an obligation, write the thank you note, no, Gratitude flows from grace. That shouldn't shock us because the word gratitude comes from the same root as the word grace. The word grace, Greek word for grace, charis, is in pagan culture 
a reference back to the caresses, these goddesses that would indiscriminately bestow song and beauty and joy on unsuspecting humans. Boom! There's some joy. There's a song. There's some love. It was indiscriminate. It was undeserved. They were the caresses. It's the way that in the Greek world they would greet each other. Grace to you. Caress to you. May grace be upon you. The Latin term is gratia. It's where we get our our word gratitude. Where does gratitude come from? Gratitude comes from the experience of grace. That undeservedly, God has looked upon us and bestowed upon us the riches of charis, of grace. Paul has experienced this. He's a Christian killer for a living. He's going down the road to Damascus. It says he was breathing out threats as he went down the road. I'm going to get those. When I get there, I'm going to lock them up. I'm going to kill them. I'm going to kill them. Because I'm serving God. That's how he was with his horse. That's why I'm doing that. It's his horse. I'm going to get those guys. He's angry. And then what happens? Grace, charis happens. He's knocked off his horse into the dirt and blinded because God loves him. Isn't that kind of God to knock him down and blind him? Yeah. And he looks up, he goes, who are you? And the voice says, I'm Jesus. And Paul said, oh man, oh man, am I in trouble. (laughs) I have got this wrong. God had grace towards him. That's why Paul is always exploding in gratitude. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself in whom we have this adoption through his blood. He sealed us with the Holy Spirit. He just goes on and on in constant praise to God. He can't help it. When he's in prison, he says rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. That's what I'd have written. I'd have written, would you, would, you, would you get me out of here? Would you get over here and post bail? Would you bring me some lunch? Would you get me out of here? Paul, when the prison door broke open in the book of Acts, stayed in jail. He st- I'd have been, I feel led to leave. I feel this is a sign from God to go. Now Paul, Paul goes, this is great. We got the entire prison population right here for a message. We got the jailer trembling. Let's lead him to Christ. Let's do some gospel work here. This is fantastic. Do you appreciate that's a different way of living? Me? I don't have that kind of joy all the time. I pull into Costco to buy gas and go, look at that line. (laughs) 
that's what I do. <laughs> I don't go, I don't, you know, and it's out, you know, there's eight lines, 47 cars deep because it's a buck 99. And I don't sit there going, oh, Lord, I bless you for a $1.99 gas. I just go, Lord, why are there 16 cars in front of me? Could you not have sent an angel? In fact, could you send an angel now and judge the three cars directly in front of me? Could you smite them, oh, Lord, and cause them to move? No, no. And God looks at me and he goes, you are, you are, you, uh. but I love you. I still love you. First, I thank God for you. Christ community, first, I thank God for you. To your children, your grandchildren, you can say, first, first, I thank God for you. First, why? Because Jesus took all of us failure disciples and he got us around a table. And he says, I've been waiting for this. And it says he took the bread and when he had, say it with me, given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to them. It's the same word that's used here. Giving thanks, Eucharistio, the word Eucharist. We come to this table, we come to the Eucharist. Every time we come to this table, we hear Jesus say, listen to this, we hear Jesus say, thank you. What was he about to do? He took bread and he broke it after giving thanks and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. He's going to the cross Thank you, I'm going to the cross. Why? Because he knew that the, the afternoon that he would spend laboring on that cross, shedding his blood for the likes of you and me, ingra- in ungrateful people, would redeem us and save us and forgive us. And here's how the writer of Hebrews put it. For the joy set before him He endured the cross and despised its shame. The joy set before him. He looked down through the quarters of time and he saw you and me. And he called you his joy. And because he called you his joy, he broke the bread and he gave thanks. First, I thank God for you. Why did Paul thank God for the church, a broken church, a messed up church, an imperfect church? Why did Paul give thanks? Because Jesus shed his blood with thanksgiving to make us his own. And so my friends this morning, how can we not but look upon him and say, oh Lord, you are good. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his love endures forever. Amen? Gracious Father, we turn to you with grateful hearts that you have sent the Savior 
and that he broke the bread with thanksgiving, that he went to the cross for the joy. And now we pray that you would train our hearts to see the wonders and the beauty that all is gift around us and to respond with thanks and to live the rest of our lives with first, I give thanks. Amen and amen.